Okay, we're going to begin here at the new parak on the top of Lamed Hayim and Aleph, Ketzad Mevarchim. Just before we start, just to say a big picture on the meaning of brachot, or what it means to say a bracha. So first of all, just in terms of the formulation, the matbeya that was used by the Chachamim for bracha, we know that it has Baruch Atah, and then we have Hashem Elokeinu, which is that it starts in with the second person, and then moves out to the third person. So there, almost everybody's in agreement as to why that is. Baruch Atah is to indicate that Hashem is mashkiach al-olam, that Hashem is involved, actively involved, and intimately involved in the world. And therefore, when we say a bracha, we'll see which of them it is. The Baruch Atah is an indication of Hashem's connection to the world and Ashkacha over the world. Hashem Elokeinu, when we move to the third person, is indicative of a distance or separation between us and God. And that's to remind us that despite the fact that Hashem is close and intimately involved in the world, He is nothing like us. He's not one of the Nimtzaim, but He is the Borei Olam. So that's why the Baruch is formulated in such a way to have both closeness and distance, second person and third person, incorporated in it. Now as far as the bracha itself, what does it mean to make a bracha and to give a bracha? When we talk about a Kodesh Baruch Hu, anybody who speaks about this asks the same question, which is, does God really need our brachot? What does it mean, anything, that we give a bracha to Hashem? So in answering that question, the Rishonim take different approaches. The Rabbeinu B'chai in the Karakemach, he also mentions it on his Perish on Chumash, suggests that the word bracha comes from Tosefet Viribui. Now, if you wanted to say that God was blessed, you would say He was Mivorach. But that's not the word that we use, rather we use the word Baruch. And that is an indication of Tosefet Viribui. Increasing, overflowing, the source of all. And he uses, for instance, a Brechat Mayim, the equivalent of a Mayan, a spring of water that bursts forth. And so the bracha, when we make the bracha, according to the Rabbeinu B'chai, it's not necessarily a praise for Hashem, it's not from the word Tehillah V'Shevach, but rather an acknowledgement of God being the Mekor, and the source for everything that comes down to the world. And over here there's a slight bifurcation between the explanation of the Rabbeinu B'chai and the Chubat Arashba. They both agree that it's Tosef, it ribuiz, the explanation of the word bracha. And they agree that the bracha that we make is not for God, but for ourselves. Rabbeinu B'chayi formulates it. The bracha is the acknowledgement of Hashem's hashkacha over the world. And the acknowledgement through the bracha says that we understand that everything in this world is coming from Hashem. And the more that we make brachot, the more that we acknowledge that Hashem is the one that is mashkiach on the world. And when we don't make a bracha... Like the Gemara is going to say, it's ki'ilu gozel at the as if you're stealing from God, because you eliminate that acknowledgement of God being mashkiach on the olam. And the less we make a bracha, the more that Hashem is going to have to pull back, because there isn't acknowledgement of His hashkacha in the world. On the other hand, the Chubat Arashpah says that the ultimate bracha, or source of bracha, gives without stopping. And by our making a bracha, we acknowledge that God is the source of all bracha. And the more that we acknowledge that Hashem is the source of more bracha, the more that He can give bracha. And so that increases the understanding that God is the source of all brachot. On the other hand, if we don't acknowledge and we don't make a bracha, then we say that God doesn't have that ultimate, giving, unending, endless bracha, and the more that God is good, more people understand and recognize Him. That His bracha has no limits, or value, or end. But if the servants, meaning us, belittle Him, and He has to stop giving to them, so when we don't make a bracha, and we have not acknowledged that goodness and that greatness that He gives to us, then we have diminished that understanding of God being the ultimate bracha. And by doing that, God pulls back to help us, remind us that He is the ultimate giver, and without Him we won't get anything. So by pulling back, He reminds us of that fact, and then we make a bracha again. So both the Rabbeinu B'chai and the Shutarash play on this idea that the brachot are for us, not for our Kodesh Baruch Hu. Again, they have manifestations. The Rabbeinu Mechayi focuses on Hashkocha, 
the Shura Rashi talks about God being the ultimate good and ultimate giver. The Rabbeinu Bukhai has a similar perush in the Torah to what he says in the Karakemach. And then he adds on an additional explanation, which is Valdata Kabbalah, or Divriya Kabbalah. All of this is Alder Chabshah, but Ben Divriya Kabbalah, man is able to give a bracha to God. Now that is difficult, because we know again that God is, is the ultimate, not missing anything. So how can we give him a bracha? So the answer is Alder Kabbalah, that our brachot allow HaKadosh Baruch Hu to manifest himself in this world. Now this is borne out much more clearly in the Nefesh HaChaim. The Nefesh HaChaim in Shar Bet speaks about the brachot. He first speaks about how God interacts with our world, that there is the ultimate God who we have no connection to. But through the way God treats us, interacts with the world, then we know some of the tchunot, the characteristics of God. And when we talk about the names of Hashem or the Shemot Hashem, those are the characteristics of God. That's the only way we know Him. In addition to that, the Nefesh Chaim explains, and that's part of the premise of the Sefer, that anything that is done below in the world here affects the higher worlds, the Olamot El Yonim, and that there's a Chibur, a connection between below and this world and the worlds above. And that Chibur is triggered by our actions down here, whether it's learning Torah, doing mitzvot, making brachot, all of those help to enable those connections to be opened and allow for the Kedusha to flow down to this world. And so based on that, he explains that the idea of the brocha towards Akash Baruch Hu is the opening of Tzinarot, of those pipes that allow the Kedusha to flow down to this world. Our giving of the brocha is really a brocha to Hashem, Kibiyachol. Not for us, but to open up or allow the manifestation of Akash Baruch Hu's Kedusha in this world. And therefore, he has a slightly different explanation of why the bracha changes from the second person to the third person. Benu B'chayeh and the Rashba explained that that was a tension between Ahava and Yira. But on the other hand, he thinks, because when we talk about the Tchunot, the characteristics of a Bracha, we can talk about the second person. There we can talk about Hashem and our interactions with Him in this world, the Chibur between us. But when we talk about Hashem, the Great One, and the Commander, and the One who tells us what to do, there we have no connection. That's beyond our comprehension, beyond any connection that we have. And therefore we switch to the third person. Hey, right, that's just a quick introduction to the idea of bracha. Again, from both perspectives, the bracha being for our own benefit, as well as a bracha that we give towards a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And therefore you would have to explain, for instance, only in the Mesechta, where Hashem comes to Shmuel Kohen Gadol and asks him for a bracha. In the case of the Rashbo and the Abenu B'chayi, you have to explain that that bracha that he gave him was that a Kaddish Baruch Hu should interact with our world but the Midat Arachamim over the Midat Din is that we should not ruin Hashem's ability to be Mashkiach on us and His ability to be the source of all brachot. And for the Nefesh Achayim, as well as the Kabbalistic explanation, the Rebbeinu B'chayim, the bracha that Ishmael gave to Kosh Baruch was that His Kedushah and His characteristic trait of Rachamim should be manifest in this world. And that is the bracha towards Hashem to bring down that Kedushah to this world. And in both instances, the word bracha or the word Baruch comes from the word Beirech, Ni. And a Ni is a joint or a connection between the two items. And therefore, for the Nefesh Chaim, the Berech, or Baruch, represents that Chitchabrut, that connection between the upper worlds and the lower worlds. And for the Reinu Chaim, the Rashba, Derech Abshat, the Berech is, every knee will bow down to you. The Baruch is the acknowledgement and the recognition of a God in this world. Those are just give you flavor for how different people view Brachot, what the meaning of Bracha is. The last thing we'll have to discuss, and we'll see this as we go along, is what does it mean to make a bracha? And we're going to see in a second that, we'll get to it as we go through the Gemara, that there are different formulations here, and each of those formulations we have to ask ourselves, what's the bracha doing? So now Gemara says, What bracha do we make on fruits? On fruits of the tree, he says, The exception to that rule is wine. And why? And he says, Borei Priya Gofen, the Gemara discuss why. Boperot Aretz Omer, Borei Priya Dama. On the produce of the land, you make a bracha, Borei Priya Dama, Chutz Vinapat. Which is, Halapat Omer, Motzilechem Min Aretz. The pat being an exception in that grouping, which is a Motzilechem Min Aretz. As you can see, wine is the head of the groups of the fruits, and then pat, or a is going to be the head of the produce of the land. Vala Yirakot Omer, 
and on vegetables, you say, Borei Priyadama. Yehud Omer, Borei Minei Dishaim. Yehuda says you need to have a more specific bracha. So the question here is, how specific, how much minutia do we get into in terms of making the bracha? How broad can it be and how narrow does it have to be? The Gemara will learn, have a limudim later on that we have to have a bracha that is particular. How particular is the machloket here between Rabbi Yehuda and the Tanakama? So, Menahane Mile. How do we know that you have to make a bracha? Tanrabanan Kodesh Hilulim Lashem. When it comes to Netarivai, comes to the fruits of the fourth year that have to be brought up to Yerushalayim and eat in Yerushalayim, it says there, there are Kodesh Hilulim Lashem. The word Hilulim is in plural. It requires two Halel. Two times praise Hashem. That they require both a praise beforehand and afterwards. Person may not have a taste of anything until you make a bracha. So in this formulation of the bracha, the purpose of bracha is shevach, to give praise to a Kaddish bracha. Certainly the bracha afterwards is giving praise to Hashem, thanking Him for what we have. But the bracha beforehand also, if you're learning it out from Kodesh, Hilulim Hashem, then the bracha beforehand is also a halal, is a shevach to Hashem. And therefore the bracha beforehand would be considered to be a birkata shevach vehoda. Mar says, Vahai, kiddush hiludim, Is that what Kodesh Yulim is coming to teach us? Hami We need that for something else. That first of all, you can redeem it, be it, and then eat it. So the word hiludim, from the exchange of the hay and the chet can also be in chilul, to redeem it. And that is because in the fourth year, you're allowed to redeem the netarivai, take the monies up to Yushalayim, use those to purchase food in Yushalayim, and those fruits that you have with you, you can eat in whatever the location is, very similar to Maser Shini. And what about the other word? You have Halel twice. Something that requires... Song requires chilul, has to be redeemed, meaning it is kodesh. And anything that does not require shira, does not require chilul. So here's the completion of the puzzle. What requires shira? Only wine. Shinemar. Tomer leim agefen echdalti etiroshi hamsameach elukim vanashim. Should I stop my produce giving forth my grapes? That brings happiness to God and man. Imanashim isameach. I understand when it brings happiness to men. Intoxicating the alcohol, the wine, something that brings simcha. Elukim be mamisameach. What does that have to do with making God happy? Mikan. From here you see that you only say shira on the wine. Because the wine is the vehicle upon which it brings significance to that which we said. You look in the Darashvam and Psachim and Kuvavam and Aleph. Over there we're talking about Kiddush. Why is Kiddush alayayin? We spoke about this before that yayin brings significance, framework to what you're doing. And because it's a indication of something important, something that has meaning, therefore it's the proper vehicle upon which to say brocha and shira to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Now, I explained Shinomrim shira alayayin, based on the Rashbam and, and others. The Rashi over here says, Enomrim halavim shir shal karban mikdash alayayin. What does it mean Enomrim shira alayayin? Is that the nisuch ayayin, when they do the wine libations, the mikdash, that's when Levim sing their shira. Because that's the time or the appropriate time for it. So there's a connection between Shira and Yayin through the Avoda in the Migdash. Even though we do find Halel or Shira outside of that context, for instance, Halel on Yom Tov. When we say it in Shul, we say Halel without the Yayin. But the Shira or the main Shira with regards to Mizbeach is always done ala Yayin. So that works out. That the only thing that has Rivai, only thing that where the fourth year the fruit is Kodesh, would be something that produces wine, which means grapes. And that is exactly a machloket. Tomorrow is going to mention now, Hanicha, the mandatani, netarevai. Mandatani, kerenvai, ma'ikula meimar. It's a machloket, so we're going to see in one second here. Between Amoraim, Ditmar, Rebbechiyah, Rebbechim, Barabi. Chad tani kerenrevai, v'chad tani netarevai. In the Masechto, that deal with revai, that deal with the fruits in the fourth year, question is, what is the wording that should be used? 
Is it kerem revai? Kerem referring to a vineyard? Or nether revai means anything that is notea, any tree, any fruit tree. And obviously there's a huge nafkamina between them. Is what's chayav in revai? Is it only grapes? Is it only that which produces wine? Or is it any fruit that is chayav in revai? Now, according to the one who says that it's kerem revai, we have a problem now. Because the kodesh hilulim lashem, now we just use the word hilulim in plural for two things. One is to teach you that you can redeem it and then bring up the monies to Yerushalayim. The second one is that it's a miut to tell you that only things that have halal or shira over them require a chilul. And so that would be limited to wine or vineyard. And now I don't have the word halal left over. According to one who says netarevai, that it's a tree, any tree, any fruit tree is chayav and revai, then he only used up one of the words of halal. And since he only used one of those words, he can now go ahead and use the second word for teaching us about bracha. So that's what the Gemara just said. Hanicho It works well according to the one who says netarevai, because then you still have the word halal left over. But according to one who says kerevai, Michael Amemar, because he's used the word halal up, and now there's no longer any word halal to help us with the source for bracha. Those what points out over here in terms of revai, he says that netarevai applies bechutzlaritz. Because the limud in the Gemara is that the Revai applies not only in Eretz Yisrael, but even in the Chutz Miu, Bekerem noheg, velo b'shari lanot. It's only true of a vineyard and not other trees. In these situations, wherever the halacha, if we have something that's extended from Eretz Yisrael to Chutz when it deals with the Karka, then we always pass on like the Mekil. And Kerem Revai, b'zmanazeh, mechalein al shaveh pruta. And on top of that, even if you have Kevin Revai in Chutzlaretz, we redeem it onto a small coin, and then we throw it out. Even though, and this is true by Meister Shani today as well for us here in Eretz Yisrael, that in the time of the Mikdash, the proper way to redeem something is to redeem it for its full value. And you have to give the appropriate assessment, and if you add on a fifth to that, and bring those monies up to Yerushalayim. But today, we don't do that. The monies that you have redeemed the Revai with, or the Meister Shani with, are going to Ibut. They're going to be thrown out. So Shmuel has a din that if you redeem hektesh, even on a pruta, even on the smallest coin, it's redeemed, even though it's not its true value. You have exchanged the hektesh even when it's not its true value. So in the time of the Mikdash, that was only bidiyevet. We wouldn't let you do that. But today, since we're already in a situation where it's all going to get thrown out anyway, there's no reason to redeem it onto its full value and then throw out all that money. So we redeem it onto a small coin. That's what we do with Meisr Shani, onto a pruta. And same thing with this Kerem Revai, Bizmanazan, Chutzlaretz. That's what it says. You don't have to redeem it onto a Shaveh Pruta. Anyway, that's just a sidebar with regards to Alokha, because we have a Machloket here. Because it applies in Chutzlaretz, we're going to be Mekyo Legabei, the Psak. And that means it means it only applies to Kerem Revai in Chutzlaretz, as opposed to Net Revai in Eretz Yisrael. Mandatani Kerem Revai. Wait a second. Hanicho? Now, the one who says Kerem Vai, it's also going to be okay. Yolif Gezer Shava. If he learns it out of Gezer Shava, the Tanya Rebbe Omer Nemrakan no Sifla Chemet Vuato. In order that you get more. That if you keep the Revai, things will be even better. And it says in Dvarim, it calls it Tvata Kerem. Malahalan Keren. Afkan Kerem. So just like in Dvarim, when it uses the word Tvuah, it refers to Kerem, so too by Vayikra, when it uses the term Tvuah, it means Tvata Kerem, and that's how I learn out Kerem Revai. If that's the case, then I have one Hilul left over. Also, even according to one who says Kerem Revai. But if you don't learn that Gezer Shava, the one who says Kerem Revai, where does he learn out the source for Bracha? Even if you learn the Gezer Shava, the Hilul would only tell you about afterwards. What about beforehand? Again, if you had a choice to pick which one you would make a bracha on before or after, we already know that the Torah lays out a paradigm, which is v'chalta, v'savachta, v'rachta, t'shem elokecha. So we already have a bracha afterwards for at least certain things. So if I was to say halel, I only have one word halel, which of the two would I apply to? Bracha vishona or bracha achrona? The answer would be bracha achrona, because that we have a paradigm for. So the Gemara says, even if I have... One halal, I would only learn out bracha chrona, I would still be missing bracha vishon or bracha lefaneha. And that would be true both for the one who says netar revai or karam revai. I only have one halal in excess, and that would teach me bracha chrona. The Gemara says, don't worry about that. Halo kasha, 
It's a kav v'chomer. If he is full and satisfied, he makes a bracha. When he's hungry, certainly he should have to make a bracha beforehand. So now, again, in this formulation, the bracha sounds like birkat shevach v'hodah. You're learning out from a kav v'chomer from bracha chrona. Now, bracha chrona certainly is shevach v'hodah. It's giving praise to Hashem. That means that the bracha rishona also is shevach v'hodah l'Hashem. Tosafot over here points out that it cannot be a real kavachomer because if it's a real kavachomer, it would turn out that bracha rishona is mina Torah. Because in bracha chrona we know mina Torah from achal to zavach to rach to shem lekecha. Then through the kavachomer, you would also learn out that the bracha beforehand is deoraita. So this is a nice idea. It's not a full-fledged kavachomer. So now the Gemara says Ashkachan Karen. According to the one who says Karen Revai, now we know about a Karen. Sharminim minayin. How do I know other things? Because if we're only learning out Kerem Revai and it's talking about Hilulim, then I don't know about all fruits. I only know about a Kerem, about a vineyard. The Yolif Mi Kerem. We'll use Kerem as a paradigm. Ma Kerem Devarsha Neheneh, Beton Bracha. Just like a Kerem is something you get benefit from and requires a Bracha. Av Kol Devarsha Neheneh, Beton Bracha. Anything that you benefit from requires a Bracha. When it says Ika the Mifrach, I can undermine that logic. Ma Le Kerem Shekein Chayav Beololot. Kerem has some unique matnot aniyim. It has something that's special that you leave over for the aniyim that's not found in any other produce, and that's ololot. Ololot are grapes that are not in bunches, that are not together. They're individual grapes that are floating around. So the Gemara says, Kama tochiach. We can prove that from Tvuah. Malakama, shekein chayavet b'chala. Well, grains, the chameshet minim, have some unique property to them, which is that they are chayav and chala. If you make dough out of that grain, you have to give over a matano of challah to the kohen. So it has something that's unique to it. Kerem yochiach. Well, the grapes will prove it the other way. So the Gemara says, v'chazer adin. Between the two of them, the common denominator will be, lo reizek reizeh, lo reizek reizeh. The chumrah, each one of them is not paralleled in the other. Kerem has ololot, but not challah. Kama, the tua, the grains have challah, but they don't have ololot. So the Tzad HaShaveshaven, the common denominator between them is Dabar Shenenev, Etunun Bracha. Something that you're benefiting from, and therefore requires a Bracha. Kal Dabar Shenenev, Etunun Bracha. All things that you benefit from should require a Bracha. Now of course the greens we learn out from the Pasuk, Vechal Tav Zavat, Vechal Tav Zavat, because there Lechem is mentioned in the Pasuk, in the Pasukim beforehand. And because of that, we know Bracha by Lechem, now we know Bracha by Kerem. Put the two of those together, you can come to a common denominator. Anytime you benefit from this world, you have to make a Bracha. My says, wait a minute. There is a common denominator between grains and vineyards, which is Shekin Yishpo, Tzad Mizbeach. They both end up on the Mizbeach. Solet, fine flour, or the Menachot that are brought on Mizbeach, as well as the Nisuchayayin. So both of these are things that are used to worship in the Mikdash. And maybe that's why they require bracha rishona, because of that unique property, that common denominator between them. Mara says, okay. So at least then you can include olives, because they have it beitzad mizbeach. It has itzad mizbeach, which is the shemen, the oil that goes into the menachot. So you have itzad mizbeach to it. Bezayit mitzad mizbeach ati. Why do you need zayit to come from this sort of shaveh, the common denominator between grain and vineyards? Zayit is called a kerem. It's called a vineyard. They wiped out everything from the gadish, that which was already stored, piled up. Kama that was standing in the field. So here you see a vineyard of olives. The term kerem is also used by olives. So if we say there's a kerem revai, then olives would be in that subset of kerem. So Rapapa, kerem zayit ikre, kerem stamalo ikre. Just say kerem by itself, a vineyard. No we would ever think that means a vineyard of olives. It would only mean grapes. If you say kerem zayit, if you qualify kerem with zayit, then it is used that way. But it's never used as the word kerem by itself. So mikomako, kasha, we're still left in a problem. Because they have this common arminator that they are used on the mizbeach. So now I have a bracha rishona for grapes, wine, a bracha rishona for grains, bread, and I have a bracha rishona for olives. But now what about everything else? Ela diolifla mishivat haminim. We're going to learn it out from the seven minim, 
which are mentioned in Parshat Ekev, Refor Bechaltav Zavachtav Rachta Shem Lokecha, there it lets out that Eretz Kitas Orat lets out the Shivat Aminim. So my Shivat Aminim, Davar Shenene Vetum Bracha, just like the Shivat Aminim, it's clear that they require Bracha. Avko Davar Shenene Tahum Bracha. So to anything you draw benefit from requires a Bracha. It says, Ma the Shivat Aminim, Shekin Chayavim Bibikurim. The Shivat Aminim have something unique to them, which is that they have to be brought up, the first fruits have to be brought up to Yerushalayim. Vod. That only works with bracha achrona, because the shivat aminim in the Torah only have achaltovs of achtov rakta shem lokecha, which is the bracha afterwards. Lifanab minayin. How do I know from beforehand? Halokasha. Again, the Gemara says it's not a question. Da'ati b'kal b'chomer. Shuzaveya mivarech. When he is satisfied, he makes a bracha. Shuveid lokol shukein. So now the Gemara says we can learn it out from the shivat aminim, but we're still in trouble because that has a unique property of bikurim. So the manda dhanei netaravai. The one who says it's netaravai, hatina called the varnitia. So now the Gemara goes back to the one who says netaravai. We said, okay, he's fine. But the one who says netaravai isn't so fine either because only things that are planted, trees, will require a bracha because that's netaravai. What about the varnitia, things that are not planted? Kugon, basar, meat, beitzim, eggs, dagim, fish, minole. How do you know you have to make a bracha on those items? Ela svaruhu. The Gemara says it's logical that you have to make a bracha. Gemara is opting out of taking any source now and saying that there is no source for bracha, but rather it's a logical argument that one should have to make a bracha beforehand. Tosafot says that's why the parak began, Ketzer Mevarchim. How do you make a bracha? What do you mean, how do we make a bracha? How do you know you're even chayav in a bracha? Where's the reference point for Ketzer Mevarchim over here? So Tosafot says, because the Gemara comes to the conclusion, Svaroi, that it's a logical argument. If it's a logical argument, you don't need any background. Of course you make a bracha vishona. Of course you make a bracha vishona, then ketzer mevarchim. How do you make the bracha? So what is this zvaro? Asur lo adam shenem in olam lo bracha. Person is restricted from getting benefit from this world without a bracha. So now the Gemara has changed, it seems, its understanding of what a bracha vishona was. Until now we've looked at a bracha vishona as being shevach noda, praise to Hashem. And that was borne out both by the source being from Halel, as well as the source being from a kalvachomer from the bracha chrona. Bracha Chron is clearly Sheva Vodah. If you learn how to Kabbalah Chomer from that, then certainly Bracha Rishon is also praise Sheva Vodah. But over here, once you say it's Asur Adam Shinim in Olam Zebelo Bracha, that's not Sheva Vodah. That's not praise to Hashem. That's what we call Amatir. Something that allows you to do something. It gives you permission to eat. You need permission to get benefit from this world. You must make a Bracha. It's a Matir now. It's a different formulation of a Bracha. It's not praise to Hashem, but rather... A matir for something that is a sewer. Right. Shechita, according to some of the Rishon name, is exactly that. Shechita is not a mitzvah. Shechita is simply a matir. It allows you to eat the meat. We have a number of those types of mitzvot, or where we make brachot, which are, they are matirim. They allow you to do something. So, so to here, the brocha allows you to eat. That's a difference. One of the nafkaminot might be for a katan. Do we have to force a katan to make a bracha? Well, if it's sheva vodah, then we may not have to force a katan to make a bracha. But if it's a matir, meaning that it's a sur, unless he makes the bracha, then based in his mitzuve, te machrish katanim meisurim. We have to take and make sure katanim don't do things that are negative commands, go against the Torah in any way. And therefore, we would be required to ensure they make a bracha. It's one nafkamina. There might be other nafkamino in terms of whether we view it as sheva vodah versus whether we view it as a matir, for instance, in cases where you have a suffix. Do you make the bracha or not? In the cases where it's sheva vodah, we would opt out of making the bracha when it's a suffix. If it's a matir, and you have an iser here, then maybe you would have to make a bracha, even if it's makom suffix, because get involved with isur, unless you make the bracha, and therefore you don't want to take the risk with the isur, you'll make a bracha even if So this is some of the nafkamino debate, the way we view it. The other question you have to ask is once the Gemara moves, and Rav Soloveitchik poses this question, once the Gemara moves from being Sheva Chodah to a Matir, did the Gemara entirely reject the previous statement? Or is this in addition to? There are two aspects to a Bracha. Bracha is both Sheva Chodah as well as a Matir. And they can coexist, or even when one is absent, the other one might still be there. That's a question that's posed by Rav Soloveitchik when the Gemara makes this shift. Tarna Banan. That's what we just said. Anybody gets benefit from this world without making a bracha, it's as if he has misappropriated hektish. It's moel and hektish. 
How do you fix this? How do you rectify this? Yelech Yitzel Chacham. He should go to a Tamar Chacham. says, Yelech Yitzel Chacham, my Avidle. What's that going to do for him? Avidle Yisura. He did something wrong already. What's going to the Chacham going to solve here? She go to a beforehand. brachot, and he'll teach him brachot. So he won't come to this problem mila. One has to learn the proper brachot, so in order to make them beforehand, and then he won't be moel. It's as if he's getting benefit from that which is belongs to God. The world belongs to God. So if you take from the world without making a bracha, then you are taking or stealing from God in a sense. And that's the next formulation we're going to see. Of Levi Ramik Tiv, Lashem Aretzum Loa, that the land belongs to God. Uchtiv, Shemaim Shemaim Lashem, the heavens belong to God. But Aretz Natan Levi Adam, the land was given to man. Lokasho, that's not a question. Kan Kodim Bracha, Kan Liachar Bracha, depends when. Before a bracha, it belongs to God. After the bracha, it belongs to man. And Amar Rabbi Chinin of our Papa called an enemy, Lama Zebelo Bracha, Kilo Gozel, Akarish Bracha, Gnesset Israel. Anybody who gets a benefit, gets benefit from the Lama Zebelo without making a bracha, is as if he's stealing from God and from Kalal Israel. Shinemar. Now Rashi says, what does it mean, Gozel, Akarish Bracha, he's stealing from God? At Birkato, he steals the bracha. Now the more pushed, the more simple formulation would be that he's stealing from God because he's taking the produce without making the bracha. That might go back to what we were saying before is, what is the nature of the bracha, even after we say that it's a matir? Now, Neymar, Gozela vivimo. He steals from his father and his mother. Bomer ain't pesha. And he says, there's no problem with that. He is a friend of the one that destroys. Now, the is going to say, Ina vivelo kodesh Father is first to God. Neymar lo avicha kanecha. Veni Mola Knesset Israel refers to Klaisoshanemer Shma Bni Musaravicha Baltitosh Torati Mecha. My Khaver Huli Ishmashkit, what does it mean that he befriends that the man of destruction? From Khanina Bapapa, Khaver Huli Yeravam Benavat. He's a friend of Yeravam Benavat, Shishita Dishalavim Shishamaim. That he was a chote, he's a sinner, Umahti, and he causes others to sin. And that's what Rashi says, in Pesha. He is Mikil. He said, ah, who needs to make a bracha? Other people see him. And they learn from his actions that they also don't have to make a bracha. So not only is he wrong himself, but he causes others to make the same mistake by when they see him act in this manner, they will copy his, mimic his behavior. And when we don't do the word of Hashem, then the brachot go away. So the perot, when we sin, the Torah tells us that the perot will be also nilkin. That they'll be affected. The perot, as Rashi said, will be affected by our behavior. So here, a person who sins not only affects God, according to Rashi, because he stole the bracha, according to many others, that it's because they stole the produce without thanking Hashem for it. And you're stealing from Knesset Israel because your bad will now cause the fruits not to come forth, that the land will be punished, the fruits will be punished for our behavior. And then the Knesset Israel will suffer because of your sin. Obviously, the other way to say a Knesset Yisrael suffers is that the bracha that Hashem wants to give to the world will be stopped because nobody's either acknowledging it or no one is causing that fountain to burst forth. So here, again, you have to ask, when you say, Kilu Gozela to Kaddish Baruch he's stealing from Hashem, he's moil from Hashem, it's clear that we're talking about a matir, something that allows you to access the fruits and vegetables even though they really belong to Hashem. By giving acknowledgement to Hashem, then you can take from that produce or you can benefit from that produce. But it's clear that the bracha here is a matir. But we do see sprinklings of shevach still, like as Rashi says, that when you're stealing from God, it means not the fruits or vegetables, but you're stealing the bracha itself. You're stealing that shevach that belongs to Hashem, you're taking away from Hashem, you're diminishing from Hashem in some way. So they do have that aspect of shevach vodah that's still apparent inside of the bracha. The Gemara continues now. It's a very, very famous Gemara. Chanina papapa ramiktiv, lakachte degani bito. I will take my grain, my produce, in its time. Uchtiv. Basafta deganecha. That you will bring in and collect and harvest the grains. Lokasha. That's not a question. Kaim zman shiso sim ritzono shal makom. Kaim zbne man yiso eno sim ritzono shal makom. Depends on whether we are acting appropriately or not. 
When we are a sim ritzono, when we do the word of God, the gun belongs to us. Then you can collect it, it's your grain. But if we do not do the word of God, do not keep the word of God, then it's it belongs to God. So it's diganecha, it's your dagan when you do what's right. Digani belongs to God when you don't do right. As Rashi points out here, I think it's a beautiful idea. That we have to acknowledge God's balut, God's ownership over the produce, over that which is given to us. So there are two ways to acknowledge God's ownership over an object. One is that we acknowledge that Hashem is the owner, and if we do what's right, and we acknowledge that Hashem is the owner, then there's no question we can benefit from it, because that acknowledgement shows that it's Hashem. If we don't acknowledge that it's Hashem's, and we don't act appropriately, then how does, there's no way for us to show that God is the owner. How does God demonstrate He's the owner? He takes it back. He takes it for Himself, or He gives it to someone else. So you can demonstrate Balut in two different ways. One is your acknowledgement of His ownership, or the other way is that the owner takes it away from you. So those are the two manifestations here of Lakachti Diganibito, or Asafti Diganecha. If we do what Hashem asks from us, we acknowledge that God is the creator, the Borei Olam, the Mashkiach Olam, then we can take the produce, we can enjoy it, because we've acknowledged God as the Baal. On the other hand, if we don't do that, then God has to exert His Baalut to show us that, and therefore He's Lakachti Digani. Tarabanan, Masafta Diganecha, Matam Lomar, Lefish Namar Loyomush, Sefer Torah Zami Picho, that you cannot have the Sefer Torah leave your mouth, it has to always be with you. I think maybe you should take that literally, that you should learn Torah day and night. That you have to go out and harvest. You have to, is the term in the Gemara for working. You have to be normal, you have to work. So you work, and you learn. But Asafta Deganecha means that there is a requirement of us to go out and sustain ourselves. Person plows at the time plowing. Seeds at the time of seeding. Harvest at the time of harvest. He crushes it at the time of crushing. And he winnows it when it's windy. What will be left for Torah? There will be no time left. Person works. It takes up all this time. There will be no time left for Torah. Time that B'nai Israel do the word of God. Their work is done by others. Foreigners will come and they will shepherd your sheep for you. Time when B'nai Israel don't do the word of God. They have to do their own work. Even though before we say is when they're doing the word of God, nevertheless over here, Rabbi Shimbachai views that as when they do the word of God, but they still are not dedicating their whole lives to Torah. You do it on your own. You only have to do your own work, you have to do other people's work. This week's parsha, parsha Kedilbo, is part of the Tokacha, that you will not only work for yourselves, you're going to work for your enemies. So you have two world views here of how the world should be conducted. You have Rabbi Shmuel, who says that you have to work, you have to sustain yourself, you have to take care of yourself, and you learn Torah also, but you can't have Torah Yomam Valayla. Rabbi Shem Bayuchai says, no, it's Torah Yom Valayla. Uh, what about living, sustaining oneself? God will take care of it. God takes care of those people who dedicate their lives to Torah. And we know the famous story of Rabbi Shem Yochai, Gimel and Shabbos, when the Romans were chasing him because what he had said, he moves into the cave, and God brings him a carob tree, and he lives off the carob tree and learns Yomam Valayla with his son, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Shimon. So you see that Rabbi Shem really lived a life like that. That was his life. His life was Torah to, Umunato, as the Gemara terms it, his livelihood was Torah, and therefore he expected that Hashem would sustain him. Mishmol, on the other hand, says, no, that we have to be normal. That nobody can live up to that standard of Shema Yochai. We have to live normal lives. We have to sustain ourselves. We have to work. We have to be productive people. And we also have to learn Torah. So the Gemara says, very interesting, Amar Many people took the path of Rabbi Shmuel and were successful. People tried like Rabbi Shmuel, but they were not successful. 
So the paradigms, the way Abayi concludes, are both true, and they both work. But what's clear from the conclusion of Abayi is that for most people, Rabbi Shmuel's shita is the right way to follow, it's the right way to go. Because that's for the Hamonam, that's for what everybody does. Shita, Rabbi Shema Yochai, that's for Yechidim. Particular, unique individuals who can live up to the standard of Shema Yochai, which is Torah Tov, and they live, breathe, Torah, it's everything, it's Yomam Valayla with them. And they can rely on Kodesh Baruch Hu. But you really have to be in that unique, high-altitude crowd. Because as Rabbi says, many people tried or thought they were Rabbi Shimba Yochai, and it didn't work out for them. I beg you, don't show up in the Beit Midrash, in Nisan and in Tishrei. Nisan is the harvest, because you need the harvest. Yom Tishrei... I would have said it was the planting season. Rashi says that it's the time that they press the grapes and the olives. Don't come then, because we come then. Because if you don't work when it's time to work, then you're going to be looking for parnas for the rest of the year. You're never going to learn. If you go to the times that you're supposed to work, you do the work then, and then you spend the rest of the time learning because you succeeded at doing the work in that time. So Rav says, do what you're supposed to do. You do it at the times that are important, and then the rest of the time you can learn. If you learn even for the times when you should be harvesting, planting, or pressing, then you'll have nothing. And then the rest of the year you're going to suffer, and your Torah is going to be difficult all year round, instead of just giving up the short time to work. The earlier generations are very different than today's generations. They made their mainstay Torah, and they did work was a small part of their day. And they were successful at both. They succeeded at Parnassah and they were all succeeded at Torah. Our generation, the later generations where work is the primary, Torah is given much less time. And neither are successful. Not in Torah, not in business. Again, difference in generations. The wrote Rishonim Ayu Machdisim Perotem Derach Trak Simon Teilechayven BeMaser. Then in the earlier generations, they used to bring in their fruits through the front door, through the main entrance, in order to make Chayven Measer. The wrote Achronim. Later generations Machdisim Perotem Derach Gagol through the roof, Chatzerot through the Chatzer Derach Karpifot or the backyards. They would not be Chayven Measer. Tomer Rabbi Yanai Ena Tevel Mitchayven Measer Chirepnei Abayit. Tevel, which means produce that has yet to have the matnot, anim, koanim, levim, taken off of it, only becomes chayav and maser once it sees the face of the house. Shinemar. Bi'arti kodesh min abayit. Again, this week's parsha. In vidui maser, we say that I got rid of all that is hektesh from the house. So we see that the house plays a central role in maser. And we discussed this earlier in the Vesechta, that when it comes to be chayav in chumot and masrot, you need two things. You need what's called gemar melacha. You have to have finished the process of harvesting and bringing together that item. Plus, it has to be riyat pnei You have to bring it into the house. Those two things together make you chayav min torah in trumot and masrot. Before that point in time, you're not chayav min torah, but midra banan, you may not eat achila teva. You may not have a fixed or permanent meal. You can have achila terai because there's no Torah restriction. And the rabbanan only restricted when it's achila teva. Achila terai, you're allowed. So you're allowed to eat it, and for your behemoth, your animals, it's always called Zechilat Terai. Once you bring it into the house, now you're Chaimid Oraita, you can't do anything. You can't touch it until you take up Shumat Masrot. Same is true in the case where you finish up the processing of the grains, or whatever item it is, and then you bring it, not you bring it through the roof, or some other way that doesn't come through the main entrance of the house. In that instance, you're not Chaimid Oraita. In the Torah, you're not Chaimid because you don't have Riyat Pnei Abayit. But... You still chayav midorabanan again. You may not eat achilat keva. You're allowed to eat achilat achilat rice. You can feed it to your animals. You can take small pieces of it for yourself. But you may not have achilat keva from this item. So that's what the Gemara is suggesting is saying over here. In order to relieve themselves of having to give maser, they didn't bring it in through the front door because then they're not chayav midoraita. They're only chayav midorabanan. And that gives them a dispensation for their animals. Their animals can eat arai, because any achila of the animal is considered to be arai. They can feed their animals without taking off chumot masrot. The earlier generations brought it through the front door. They wanted to be chayav in chumot masrot. So the same idea. In the earlier generations, they gave more, and they ended up with more. In the later generations, they did less, and they ended up with less. 
Rabbi Yochanan Amar Afilu Chatzer Kovat. Not only is the Riyat Pnei Abayit, but even going to the Chatzer, You should eat it in your gates, in your Sharecha Vesaveyu, and you'll be satisfied. So the gates are the gates to the Chatzerot. And therefore, when it comes in through the Chatzer, it's also Chayav in Shemot Masrot Mina Torah. There's the implications today, whenever you go picking, or you pick fruits in your backyard, that if you take them one by one, it's Arai, you can eat them without taking off Shemot Masrot. Once you bring them to a goren, a goren means that you bring them together, you have a number of them together, then you can no longer eat them, achilat keva, you have to take up shumotu masrot. I tell my children the same thing, whenever you're picking, if you want to eat them one by one, you take them off, that's fine. But if you start putting them into your shirt or into your hands and gather them together, then you have to wait to take off shumotu masrot. The other thing is that if you have fruits and vegetables that grow in your chatzer, then you might be chayab right away, because as you take them off the tree, you already have the Riyat HaChatzer here going to Rabbi Yochanan because you're in the Chatzer and they are might already be Chayab in Trumot and Masrot because of that, the fact that they're found in that location. It's something just to keep in mind when uh, eating fruits or picking fruits. Wine is an exception to the rule. Why is wine an exception to the rule that we make Bari Piragofen? Because when you change it, it gets better. You press the grapes, they were grapes before, now they're wine, it's an upgrade. So, Ishtani the brocha, therefore you get an upgrade in brocha. Or shemen. what about oil? Ishtani the the brocha. Olives, versus olive oil, olive oil is worth more than olives, it's better than olives, yet we don't see a change in the brocha, you don't go from boipriates by olives to some other brocha by shemen. When it comes to olive oil, you just make a bori preyes like the olive itself. It's impossible to create or formulate a bracha for olive oil. How are we going to make a bracha? You say that Hashem created the pre-hazayit, the fruit of the zayit. You can't say that because in the olive tree, the word zayit both means the olive tree, as well as the olives themselves. So when I say Bori Priya Zayit, I can mean one of two things. I can mean the olives, which are the fruit of the olive tree. Or I can mean the oil, which is the pre of the fruit of the olive itself. And only one of those God created. God created the olives that are on the olive tree. The oil processed by man in order to get that oil, he did create it, but we do the processing. So you can't say Bori Priya Zayit, because it sounds like Hashem created the oil, which is the fruit of the olive. That's not the proper bracha. The bracha you need to make is bori pri, basically the eights of the zayit. Like bori pri or goffin, over there, geffen only refers to the vine itself. It does not refer to the grape. The grape is never called the geffen. Geffen is the vine itself. And so we say bori pri or geffen, that's the grape that is the pri of the geffen. But that doesn't work by zayit. Minari chalei bori pri eights zayit. I said, I have an easy solution. Just make the bracha. Bori pri eats a zayit and we clear it all up. Because then you're modifying zayit and saying it's the eats, the tree. Alamra sutra, chamra zayin, mishcha lo zayin. Chamra wine is nourishing. It's a food. Mishcha oil lo zayin. It's not a food. Right. You don't drink a cup of oil. It doesn't nourish. When it says mishcha lo zayin, is that really true? Atanan. Hanuder min amazon. Person who takes a nether not to get any benefit from mazon, mutarba ma'im b'melach. He's allowed to eat water and salt because they're not mazon. Vavina ba ma'im b'melach hutolo ikre mazon hakol mili ikre mazon. So from that we conclude that ma'im b'melach are not included under this terminology mazon, but means anything else is called mazon. Well, if that's the case, then olive oil is also something that's called mazon. So now we have div div to the Rabbi Shmuel. That should be a problem, a refutation. Rabbi Shmuel, Amri, Eimu Barchim, Borei, Minei Mizanot, Ela Behei, Minim Bilvad. You only make a Borei, Minei Mizanot on the five grains. What do you mean? According to this, Kamara, by the Mishnah and Erevin, that another min Mazon, Mutar, Bemayim, Melach, one who takes a nether from Mazon is only allowed to have Mayim, Melach. Sounds like everything else is called Mazon. So why can't you make a Borei, Mizanot on all the other food items? Ravuna says, no, this is, if Amar call a Zan, a lie. No, the formulation wasn't that he took a nether minamazon. He says that I am no there from anything that has zan, anything that provides sustenance. Alma, from that you can conclude that mishka zayin, that olive oil does give sustenance because it's excluded. You can't have it. You can't eat it once you made such a nether. Ella, chamra sayit, u mishka lo sayit. Chamra is satisfying. It's used as a meal. Mishka lo sayit. 
Mishka does it not used in that capacity. Where it says, V'chamra misoy, is that really true? That chamra is used as a part of a meal, it's satisfying. Farova, have a shoti chamra, call him aliyomid pischa. Every ever Pesach used to drink wine all day. Because that increased his appetite and he'll eat more matzah at night. So it's not a satisfying drink, it's an appetite increaser. So that would not be Sayyid. Umar says, no, no. Tuva garir purto Sayyid. Drink a lot of wine, that increases your appetite. Small amounts of wine are satisfying. Which is interesting, Tosafot points out over here, if you're going to drink wine on Erev Pesach, you might have to drink a lot. Because if you drink a little bit, then you're going to be full and you won't eat the matzah. So if you're going to drink on Erev Pesach, maybe you drink well and don't drink a lot. So Umar says, Umi Sayyid Kal. Who says it's satisfying at all? Baktiv. Biyayi samach levavenosh. Belechem levavenosh isad. The wine makes happy the hearts of man. For lechem and bread, the vavinoshi said, satisfies the hearts of man. Nehemahu decide, chamahu delosai. Bread is satisfying. Wine is not satisfying. So you usually see the word sad is used by lechem and not by yayin. Umar says, no, el chamra it beitarte. Chamra has, wine has two aspects to it. Sa'id umisameach. It's both makes happy and satisfies. Nehemah, bread is misatzayit smuchelo misamech. It satisfies, but it doesn't make happy. So that's why the latter half of the Pasuk, it says, Lechem, Lavad, it is no Shisad, it's because that's the only unique property of Lechem. But when it comes to Yain, it has both Simcha and Sa'ada, which is that it's satisfying. Where it says, if that's the case, That's the case, you should make Birkat Amozon on wine. It's Sa'id, it's satisfying, and it's Masameach, it's a Mazon, why is it any less? It says, Lokave inish su, daitayu alayu. Sayyid, it is satisfying, but nobody makes wine into a full meal. Nobody, that's not a meal. So, interesting question. I'm like, What happens if a person has wine for his, that, that's his lunch? What's the story? We'll wait for Eliyahu and Avit to come and tell us whether that's considered to be something of significance. He says, and now, before the yellow comes, normal people do not make a Sudan wine. So even if he makes a Sudan wine, we're going to say, this guy's crazy, he's a fool. We're not going to say that, oh, that they should bench on his wine. Later on, if the comes and tells us that's a Sudan, then fine. But until that point in time, normal course, normal way people act is that it's not a Sudan, therefore we don't bench on wine. Hey, you know what, we'll stop over here. Take him out.